Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia and the Aussies, while they've wrapped up the first test against the West Indies in two and, well, let's say a third day. Before lunch on the third day, they've wrapped up a big 10-wicket victory over the Windies, so a good start to the series for the home side. My name is Josh Shonafinger. I'm joined by Louis Cameron, who returns to the podcast. Andrew Ramsey stood in for him during the week, but he's back. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm back. I'm uh, feeling as fresh as Shamar Joseph, um, making making my debut. So yeah, I think it was two hours and uh, sorry, two days and two hours uh, officially for the end mm. of um, the end of this test or, or the total duration of this test. And you could see all the all the people packing into Adelaide Oval who had three day or day three tickets. Um, you know, <laughs> there were a lot of people there. Um, I think the number I saw was over seventeen thousand, which is crazy considering that. You know, two hours is probably more than some might have expected. That's a huge effort. So well done, Adelaide, for getting around the test, even though we weren't sure we were going to get much play today. Yeah, it was the shortest Adelaide test of all time, 1,112 balls, beating the previous record of only a few years ago when India were bowled out for 36 in the pink ball test. So a new record set there. I'm sure Australia won't be complaining about that, though, as they uh, yeah stormed to victory, mainly on the second evening. Uh, Josh Hazelwood uh, got into his uh, routine again, as he did uh, up in Sydney, and that followed on from Travis Head's century. So why don't we start with Head? He was the uh, player of the match, 119 off 134 deliveries. Through the covers for four. Travis Head, Test 100, number seven. They have come and there are thousands here to the Adelaide Oval and their golden boy has delivered for them. I don't know about you, Lou, but I feel like it. there's some sort of switch in his innings where at the start you feel like, oh, he could get out every ball here, but then he gets to about 20 or 30 and then you think nobody's getting him out. There's just some sort of switch that flicks. Yeah, and this was a particularly lousy start, I thought. Like he he was really lucky to kind of get through those early stages. And, I mean, this test could have looked a little bit different because, I mean, we're, we're, you look at the result and 10 wickets and, yes, the West Indies were comprehensively outplayed. But if they had managed to, you know, one of those inside edges, um, you know, if, if they'd gone on to the stumps early on in Travis Head's innings, um, this could have been really different. I'm, I'm not just saying that, you know, to you know, as as we kind of do to create the illusion of um, competitiveness. It, the Windies were were um, you know really good at stages in this test, but yeah, Travis Head. Um, I mean, once he got past that, um, he just kind of toyed with the Windies, didn't he? Like just waiting for them to drop short. They they bowled pretty disciplined to him, but whenever they dropped short, he just punted them into the into the member <laughs> stand. Um, you know, those flashing cover drives through the offside were. Kind of something, um, something to behold, really. And didn't the Adelaide Oval crowd just, just love it? Like he, he's got a. I, I was going to say he's a he's a fan favourite, a hometown hero, but he's kind of getting that reception everywhere in Australia. Like I really think that that World Cup just had a, a bit of a an effect where people kind of knew this kind of larrikin kind of guy, um, this kind of character that they've come to know, and then that World Cup and the the way he celebrated it, like he's just become. <laughs> Um, cult hero is probably underselling it a little bit. Yeah, that meme of him with the, uh, I think they might be Adam Zampa's glasses actually yeah. on during the celebrations. That's uh, exclusively revealed on this podcast at the the Bolle thing, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So go back and listen to that if you want to get the details on those uh, little grey shades. I found it pretty incredible that Head hasn't scored a test 50 before this innings since Headingly. I mean, it's easy to gloss over maybe 
lower performances when Australia are winning, and I guess we had that ODI World Cup in between. But uh, it's been a pretty lean run in, in the Red Bull stuff ahead until this innings. Yeah, it has been a little bit. Like the Aussies have probably carried him a little bit through that Pakistan series, and I guess maybe that kind of comes with the way he plays um, a little bit. But he, he, when he turns it on, he, he turns it on quickly. And you know, it's worth remembering that um, you know that I think the the innings that gets forgotten a little bit is the World Test Championship final. Um, knock where he on a, on a tricky kind of oval wicket, um, you know, he kind of kept you know one of the world's best bowling attacks, took him apart really, um, and you know he's kind of making a habit of doing it in really tough circumstances. Like I think the way our colleague Andrew Ramsey phrased it was, he was kind of the guy who you wanted coming in at you know three for three hundred, and now he's kind of the guy who comes in at three for fifty and could turn again that way. Even you know even thinking back to the two day test against South Africa. Um, at the Gabba where he made a 90-odd that, you know, was crucial in, in determining that game. Um, the uh, Opening the batting in indoor when he kind of got uh, dropped earlier in that series and then came back into the side for the second test uh, of the India Tour and then the third test, you know, the, the series had been lost, but that was a really, really tough pitch um, and he kind of – uh, came in on the last day and, and iced, a, iced a victory. So he's doing it in really tough – I mean, even the World Cup final on a wicket produced to help Jadeja and Kuldeep Yadav, um, and, he, and he kind of knocked them, knocked them away. So he, he's doing it in, in really tough circumstances. And, you know, it, it also is kind of worth mentioning that it's becoming harder to bat in Australia, I think, and, um, you know, a lot of these wickets have a bit more spice in them. So uh, that's a good thing for Test cricket, I think, but, and, um, you know, it's suiting Travis Head as well. It's a good thing for the fast bowlers too. I know Josh Hazelwood certainly won't be complaining. He pulled off his career best figures of 9 for 79 across the two innings in this test match, including five his uh, 11th five-wicket haul in tests in the second innings. It, I mean, it helps when you take four for two in five overs, doesn't that, Lou? I mean, Hazelwood was just irresistible in this match. He was incredible uh, late on day two. There, I mean, he's been incredible for the last um, last little while now, at, at, especially at home. And it kind of gets forgotten a little bit that he, you know, missed a lot of cricket over two or three years there with a, a bunch of different injuries. Then when they played all those matches in Asia, he wasn't getting picked um, with Stark and Cummins, kind of the the main two fast bowlers, and then two spinners. So. Um, he, he kind of has fly, he always fly, flies under the radar, but I think he's getting his due rewards at the moment this season. Um, some really good numbers that got passed on to me in terms of um, taking so minimum twenty wickets during an Australian season. So that could be a series, or it could be multiple series. Um, you know, for Australian players playing uh, during a summer. Uh, so. Minimum 20 wickets who have averaged under 15 for the summer. The, the entire list is Bert Ironmonger twice. Mm, Bert. Uh, Richard Hadley uh, in 85, 86. Uh, Michael Holding in 81, 82. Mitchell Johnson's 2013-14 Ashes. And then Cummins and Hazelwood this season. So Hazelwood's averaging 14.95 this season. Um, and Pat Cummins averaging 12.78. So they are having you know historically great summers. Yeah, I mean, those numbers are up there with, as you say, the best that have ever played. I mean, I know they used to say if you get through Burt's new ball, you'd be okay. But obviously, uh, that summer they couldn't. I I actually think Burt Ironmonger, I I hope I'm right, I think he was a left-arm spinner. Um, (laughs) I know that there's a stand partly named after him at the Junction Oval. 
Um, but uh, he's probably the the least recognised on that list when you put him up against Hadley and Cummins and Johnson <laughs> and, and Holding. So, um, yeah, good on you. I, I mean, Bert Ironmonger did it twice in consecutive seasons, but I dare say the wickets were um, even more spicy than they are now. All right. Well, yeah, leave us a comment if you want to deep dive into Bert's golden age uh, on this podcast. Uh, what did you make, Lou, of the two changes to the Aussie batting order? Steve Smith went up to open. Cameron Green came in to number four. They didn't collectively get the runs that they would have liked, but is it a move that you like? We haven't had your take on this uh, change, I guess. I'm trying to think back to the last podcast that we did after the Sydney test, and I reckon I said my preference would be to do something like what they've ended up doing. I think I might have actually said that um, That I, I kind of thought Marnus was the best guy to go up and open. Mm. Um, but the fact Smith put his hand up to do it, it probably worked out even more neatly. So Smith went up, opens the, the hole at number four, and that's a spot Cameron Green really wants to bat. And then you've got Steve Smith who really wants to open, and that's kind of the key. If you've got a guy who A, is extremely experienced and B, wants to do – um, or wants to have a new challenge in his career, I think that's um, you know that's the most important thing. The jury's out on you know whether it's going to um, work straight away. I, I think it. I think it will. Um, you know, if Steve Smith is is that keen on it, and he he's been saying that he's been getting annoyed at um, waiting waiting to bat behind Marnus. <laughs> Maybe he just he's just getting annoyed with Marnus, kind of waiting around with him. Um, and then you know Cameron Green was he just looked a little tentative um, as he can do in Test cricket that can be forgiven he hasn't played Test cricket in in six months or so you know he's still figuring it out in Test cricket it it just feels with Green like he's on the verge of just becoming the greatest cricketer of all time but he just hasn't pieced together it, it all yet like the catches or the the one catch he took a gully and then he took a, another one that was more regulation but the one above his head. Um, I was mm. listening to some some audio that Fox Cricket had. They uh, they mic'd up Mitch Marsh uh, on that first day and um, they were all kind of saying like, you know, Mitch, like they kind of grouped up in the huddle and, and they were asking him like whether he would have taken that catch and he was like, no, nah, I wouldn't have even moved. <laughs> and so like he, it's Green's fielding is, is probably the one thing that's come together in an amazing way and then his bowling and his batting, it, it just could be so good. It's about to be, I, I think it's about to be incredibly good. It's just not quite uh, there yet. So um, it's an experienced team and they can carry him for a while. That's probably the luxury. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it clicks for Green's sake in the near future. Uh, we might be having the opener chat again. There was a scary blow at the end of the Australian innings with scores level. Usman Khawaja got hit on the jaw and there was a bit of blood. He had to retire hurt. So we don't know any further details about that yet, but hopefully Khawaja is right for the Brisbane test, which starts on January 25. If not, we might be talking about Renshaw and Bancroft and Harris all over again. Well, yeah, an interesting one. I guess it might come down to whether he got hit on the chin or whether it was indeed a concussion. Um, like, and whether he would have retired hurt if the game situation had been slightly different. Like, if they were, um, they'd been nine wickets down and they were ten runs away from victory. I dare say that you know, if he wasn't concussed or there wasn't, um, you know, a suspected concussion there, he might might have batted on. Um, and it did, yeah, you know, we don't know the full details yet. So, you know, we're not going to speculate endlessly, but it did look like more of a, a chin slash kind of jaw issue. Mm. So that wouldn't automatically rule him out. But that could be, you know, if it's a broken jaw or a broken chin, um, you know, that could absolutely put him out of the um, out of the GABA test. And then, I, I mean, I presume Renshaw, we, we probably never quite got the, the explanation with Renshaw. Like did they, I, I think he's an excellent, um, concussion sub 
because uh, he can bat anywhere in the top six. Basically, he's done you know five and six for mm. Queensland, um, and he can open up as well. So he's probably the perfect guy. But do they see him as the next best opener, or do they see um, Bancroft or Harris as potentially the uh, an actual better out and out opener? So. Um, if Kawadra was to miss a test, it'd be an interesting kind of answer to to that question, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. As you touched on, the West Indies they were competitive in parts, especially late on day one and early on day two. And a major reason for that was the debutant Shamar Joseph, twenty four years old from the Guyanese jungle. Andrew Ramsey gave us the lowdown on where he's from and his amazing story, but. I don't think anybody could have expected just how good he was. He batted well, he bowled well, and he just brought a whole new dimension to this Windy's outfit. He did, didn't he? And it was, um, I mean, my favourite moment out of all of them was when he asked Steve Smith to tie his shoelaces up on <laughs> when he was batting, um, like, beautifully. Actually, actually the other favourite moment was, you know, going back a little bit before that was the cover drive he played off Josh Hazelwood, um, <laughs> just a little bit off his off his first ball, um, which, you know, that was even Hazelwood on the replay just had this face of, like, um, you know, that's an awesome shot. And then he got, you know, his bunny, Steve Smith, to tie up his shoelaces. And it was just like you just couldn't not like the guy. Like it was lion-hearted. I mean, he needs to go up the order, first of all. Like he he can seriously bat. Like he's got a good eye. He's got a good technique. I mean, the back foot shuffles a little bit away, but, um, you know, he should be batting eight or nine for, for this team, first of all. Um, and then, he, he, I mean, he should have taken the new ball. Like that was um, – Totally. That was – yeah, Trent Copeland on Channel 7 was kind of talking about that, about, look, you got nothing – to lose, you got nothing to, but but you do have something to gain. And this is a guy who is only playing his sixth first class game of cricket. Give him the new ball, and even you know if he you know concedes ten and over, well, he's kind of had that mistake then under his belt. Like you need this guy to kind of fail a few times potentially, because there will be you know some downs um, to come. You know, hopefully he, he hangs around for a long time in in this West Indies Test team, and that you know he can. Um, you know, become a mainstay and T20 cricket doesn't come calling. So you kind of need him to to make a few mistakes and kind of experience that. And But, yeah, just a, a brilliant all-round test. Like, you know, going back to day one when, you know, he lost his run-up because he was too nervous running in that to bowl to Steve Smith, who's been one of his favourite players, and then getting him out with that first ball. Um, just a lion-hearted effort from him. And, um, you know, there, there was really genuinely quite a lot to like about how the Windies went about it. And, uh, you know, it's probably a question, you know, after a 10-wicket defeat, you know, who are you dropping and, and all that kind of thing. I wouldn't make any changes to the team. Like I thought mm. um, the left-arm spinner looked like a really handy player. Kemar Roach did a, you know, he's not the 150k an hour bowler that he was when he first came to Australia. But, um, you know, when you got both the Josephs bowling 140, the holding role that he provides I think he's important. Greaves looked like he could bowl a little bit, showed a few promising signs with the bat. I mean, these guys are just so you got Brathwaite playing his eighty he was playing his eighty seventh test in this match. Chanderpaul was playing his eighth. He only made his debut last time uh, coming out to to Australia last summer. And you got the three and four, Mackenzie and Athenaise playing their second test each, and then five and six playing their first test. That's nothing. Like you who cares almost like how they went in this test? Like Guys are going to fail in their first and second test, so you just need to um, to stick with them and um, and hope they can you know do a little bit better in the next game. Just give the bowling attack enough to to bowl at because um, you know I think the bowling attack is of test quality, um, maybe above average test quality, but the batting is is you know well below it. 
Mm, the thing I love as well, Kemar Roach and Elzari Joseph, they're pretty cool customers, but they've brought in Greaves and Shamar Joseph and they're both big celebrators. So I love that. <laughs> they've got some big celebrators into the team, uh, which you need, especially against Australia in Australia, because we've seen that West Indies have traditionally struggled to bowl Australia out in Australia. In fact, there was a stat going around that before this first innings here in Adelaide, the Windies hadn't bowled Australia out down under since 2009. Every innings that Australia had 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 been declared, which is quite phenomenal really, but there were a lot of big scores in there. So if this attack can continue to bowl out Australia, well, they might just be a chance in Brisbane because we don't know what that pitch is going to look like at this stage. Yeah, again, and hopefully it offers a little bit more to the um, to the bowlers again, you know, pink, pink ball tests. Um, a January kind of in, in Brisbane, which will be a little bit different for, for that ground. It will probably um, have a bit more heat in it, but we've had a lot of rain up in Queensland as well. So um, they'll probably need to leave a bit of grass to make sure it holds together. Um, so I think that'll that'll really suit the West Indies bowling attack. And yeah, it, they just need their batters to you know get to 200, give them something to bowl at, and uh, hopefully we can get a good test. This has been the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, and we'll catch you all ahead of Brisbane.